This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. Very few simple thoughts. We already discussed briefly Jesus hanging on the cross. It says that he, one translation says he gave up the ghosts. He released his spirit, he took his last breath, and he allowed himself to die. That's very important. To understand that Jesus even withstood the authority over his own body to allow himself to die. I don't know about you, but if I was on my deathbed today, uh, or maybe I'm not on my deathbed today, I prefer to have the authority of whether I live or whether I die, right? Realistically, I don't have that authority within reason. But Jesus maintained that. We start walking through these events that took place after he took his last breath, and I want to read a verse of scripture to you, and I'll make it to that verse of scripture here in a little bit, but I want to read it to you as we're getting started. should be on your screen. It's Luke chapter 24, verse 5, and it says, The women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. The men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? So Jesus takes his last breath on the cross and there's people that have been standing around and scripture records that the crowd that had gathered, they all went to see the crucifixion. I I don't really understand that thought process for me. We don't live in a violent culture, a publicly violent culture where we want to go gather and watch people hang on a cross and bleed out and die. So the idea that a crowd gathered to see a crucifixion to me is foreign. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. But here these people had come to be spectators. They had come to witness the life literally drain out of a man. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense because most of them, I don't believe, really had a connection to the man. I'm sure there were some that Jesus had touched throughout the ministry. He had, he had reached many people. There were multitudes. There were thousands that we know that he had physically fed. He had obviously reached some people, but it says that the crowd that gathered to see what happened, when they saw what happened, they went home. It does say that they went home troubled. They went home with sorrow. One translation says they went home beating their chest. But they went home. And so we see that group of people. And then we see the group of people following that. I'm I'm looking at uh, verse 48 in chapter 23 if you want to figure out where I'm at. There's the group of people that Luke calls Jesus' friends. The closest people that were to Jesus, his disciples, the friends, it says that they stood off and watched from a distance. I don't know about you, but I want a friend that's going to be close. Right? If we're going to be buddies, if we're going to be bros, in my deepest, darkest time, in my hour when I'm struggling, sure enough, I hope on my deathbed, 
I hope you ain't standing off in the distance watching. I do hope you care enough that you're not with the crowd and you just go home and you're sad and upset about it, but you move on. I do hope you're at least there. But it says that his closest people stood off at a distance and they watched. And I wonder about us today. There was people gathered. There's this Roman soldier. The Bible talks about the soldier that oversaw this killing. I wouldn't want that job. It's not as simple as going in and pushing a button and some kind of injection taking place. And, you know, this is ridiculously gruesome, the way that this took place. I don't mind leadership. I don't mind being in a place where when everything falls apart, it comes back to me. For some reason, God called me to be in that place. But I would not want to be the Roman soldier who had the responsibility of ordering these guys around saying that nail needs to be moved over a half inch so it goes through that tendon and it's sitting there like it's supposed to be. I wouldn't want to be the guy responsible for making sure that the hole was deep enough for the cross to drop down in and thud when it hit the earth. I don't want no part of that kind of leadership. But the word says that when the darkness came over the earth and, and the darkness stood there and, and at the point just before Jesus died, it's the veil in the temple, the curtain that separated the, the holy place from the holy of holies, what separated the presence of God from everybody else, that veil was literally ripped in two. That means that you and I now have access rather than bringing in your animals and laying on this altar and let's, let's uh, stinking this place up with some kind of altar of incense. Now we can simply access the presence of God through his son Jesus. Amen? I'm thankful for that. And here this leader, this Roman soldier who's got this ridiculous leadership position of making sure that all of the logistics were put in place, making sure that the cross was just how it was supposed to be, making sure we didn't forget a nail, making sure that everything's in order. This guy, seeing this transformation, when Jesus took his last breath and he gave up his life, he said, what in the world have we done? The crowd went home. The friends watched from a distance and hear the soldier that put him on the cross begin to worship. He said, this man had done nothing wrong. Surely he was the son of God and we've crucified him. I can't really imagine what it would have been like to stand around and watch that day. On both sides of Jesus, just as I told you earlier, are criminals. Rough dudes. And the people were given an opportunity to release Jesus versus one of the rough dudes. It was custom that somebody would be released during this season. One of the prisoners would be released. The people decided. And here's Jesus who's done nothing to nobody. All he's done is upset some people. I upset people weekly. You don't believe me? Come back next week. All he did was shook the ground a little bit. All he did was went up in there and changed the way that people thought 
God was going to restore the nation of Israel. They, they thought they had in their mind this perfect plan. You know, like you and I get this perfect plan in our mind of exactly what God wants for us. This is the way, Lord, you need to move, get in my lane and ride down this lane so that I can follow you. And here these religious people had this perfect plan of exactly what they thought God was going to do and how they thought God was going to come. And Jesus wasn't exactly what they thought. Because rather than being this, this stand-up, rule-reading, law-abiding, perfectly, I mean, just orderly, put-together, well-put-together person that came from this line of royalty, here is this man who comes through this little virgin girl who, who's not even married at the point, comes through this little virgin girl and raises up a carpenter's son and, and, and just starts teaching in the synagogue and, and he's just here and there. He's nobody. He's a carpenter by trade. It did not make sense for Jesus to come on the scene, for the Savior of the world to come on the scene in the most nowhere place to the most nobody people and live this nobody life. And here all these religious people start shooting at him. The Pharisees try him over and over. Well, what's your opinion of this? What's your, how do you answer this question? And over and over, Jesus is answering with compassion. He said, I didn't come to, to, to put the law in place. I come to fulfill the law. I come that you may have life. That did not make sense to these people. But here he is. Now hanging lifeless on a cross. The crowd's gone home. The friends are watching from a distance. And the one that literally killed him is the one that's worshiping him. God is a compassionate God. The only reason Jesus was on the earth was because God so loved the world. And now here, the guy that was responsible, that dude, I don't want to be that guy. The one that was responsible for killing the son that Jesus loved, the one and only beloved son. The one that was responsible for that is now worshiping God. And I believe wholeheartedly, Luke didn't record this, but I believe that God's sitting in heaven receiving that worship, receiving that praise from the one that just killed his son. Moments after life has left the only son of God, I believe God the Father sitting on the throne receiving that worship as an incense offering, a sweet aroma, something that was good. I don't believe God rejected that Roman officer. So they start scattering and there's this guy. And this guy really didn't fit. Because it was the council, the, the high council, the high priest, it was the religious people that wanted Jesus killed. And this guy named Joseph said, this isn't right. And the Bible calls him a good and righteous man. And I can't imagine, I thought about Joseph. I've, I've walked through the people of this scenario and maybe your imagination will go with me and you'll think about the people. 
I can't imagine being Joseph. Because I think the crowds have probably dispersed for the most part. We know that the crowd itself left and went home. We know that Jesus' peeps are way off at a distance. So I really don't know who's standing around, who's hanging out. I know that the Roman soldier is. And so here's Joseph, who was a member of the group that was determined Jesus was going to die. Can you imagine what kind of rejection Joseph took? Because Joseph went to Pilate, who was the governor, and he said, hey, I want to give Jesus a proper burial. And then I think of Pilate, and I'm, I'm sure Pilate's like, what? Aren't you part of the group that just determined and made it absolute certain that he was going to die? Now you, want, now you want to bury him? You want to give some respect now? You want to respect his life and respect who he was now? I don't know, but I believe Joseph probably took some rejection from the rest of that council. It's not easy to stand out and be different, right? As I've walked into this new world of, of being in fellowship, closer fellowship with different pastors, I have some different opinions than some of them, and we're all in this same category together. We're all friends, and we all uh, have somewhat of the same role. When one of us stands out and is different, you know you give them the stink eye, right? I get that. I'm the one that gets the eye, and that's okay. But could you imagine... What kind of eyes Joseph got? Picks up his iPhone, which obviously he didn't have. What? Man, what are you doing? Do you not realize we just killed him and now you want to take him off? Doesn't that kind of take back everything that we just did? Well, I didn't agree with it in the first place. And so Joseph asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. That in itself, maybe another day we'll talk about exactly what physically happened to the body as it's hanging on the cross, but that in itself was a nasty undertaking. It was a very bloody undertaking. I don't think it smelled very good. And Joseph said, the man deserves a proper burial. And all I have is my grave. And I'm willing to deal with the nastiness. I'm willing to deal with the junk and the funk. To put Jesus where Jesus belongs. And so he takes his own grave Brand new. The Bible said it was a new grave, never been used before. It says he took him down, he wrapped him up, and he laid him to rest in that grave. And the ladies, the ones that were watching off from a distance, they watched to see what took place, and they watched to see exactly where it was that Jesus was going to be, and the religious people 
were so determined, they were scared that Jesus really was going to raise from the dead. So they said, hey, we want to guard right there. Don't let nobody move. Don't let nobody in or out. Keep it blocked off. It needs to stay sealed. And so the ladies go to prepare some spices. And it was a ceremonial practice they wanted to do. They wanted to anoint him with oil, literally, so he wouldn't stink. And so they go to prepare what they need to prepare. When they come back, they had to take a day of rest. It was the Sabbath. Scripture tells us that they actually had to rest. But Luke records in chapter 24, it says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And they walked in and they're amazed. They're mind boggled. I don't really understand this. I don't normally have to get told something unless it's from Micah. More than one time. I'm not going to lie standing here in the pulpit. And... They walk in and they're they're really confused and they're afraid and hear these men say, what are you doing here? Why are you looking among the dead for somebody that's alive? What are you, why why are you showing up? And so they're amazed and, and they run back and they start to tell the disciples. And I don't know what their deal is. But if you read verse 11, and I don't know exactly that the New King James twisted a little bit. I really like the word that the New Living Translation said, but it said the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. How can a story that Jesus has told you, he said, this is going to happen. On the third day, I will rise. They've heard it all throughout history. The Old Testament prophets have said it over and over and over. On the third day, he's going to rise. And then they go back and the ladies say, hey, he's not there. And they say, Psh, whatever. but not Peter. Because throw yourself in Peter's shoes. Peter's this emotional guy who struggles with everything. He just chopped off a dude's ear uh, just about a week ago when they come and arrested Jesus. He calls Jesus have to, to heal this man and put an ear back on. He's the one that is the loud mouth. He's the one that don't know how to watch his mouth. He's the one that we know will actually, he's already cursed Jesus. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. So here are the other 11 who are like, Psh, whatever, he ain't, he, he's, he's still there. You're crazy, ladies. Men, when your wife tells you something is something, you need to believe that something is something. I'm not saying they were married. I'm just telling you. I, I, psh, there's a lot of ladies sitting in this room that when they tell me something is something, I say, yes, ma'am, something is something. And so Peter takes off. And another gospel records this a little bit different. Because Luke only talks about Peter. Peter said, I got to see this for myself. I want to know that it's nonsense. I need to see if the grave really is empty. It's a borrowed tomb. Joseph let him borrow... Obviously, Joseph knew something was going to happen, right? Because Joseph needed to die at one point. He would need his own grave. Obviously, Joseph, the guy that, that played a part in the group that buried Jesus, the, the guy that played a part in killing Jesus, knew that Jesus won't going to stay in this tomb. 
But the other 11 that followed him so close, but yet they stood off at a distance when he's dying. I don't like friends like that. Don't come to me when you want something and you need something. And, hey, I'm hungry and let me help you do this. But then when I really need you, you're at a distance. Carry on. And here they are now still. This is nonsense. But Peter. Peter takes off running. And I think it was a marathon sprint kind of thing. And Peter goes busting up into this tomb. The other guy that went with him, when you read, he just kind of like peeked out. He peeked around the corner. Is he really going? Peter said, Pew. And he gets there and sees that Jesus is gone. He's risen. He's not there. See, we have a lot of different roles in this story, you and I. Some of us are kind of like Pilate. We just sit back and could care less. Pilate was the governor that's like, I don't see that he's done anything wrong, but you just do what you want to do. See, unfortunately, most of us have gone through adulting and we're adults. Maybe we don't always act like it, but we're adults. Pilate did not want the responsibility. He did not want the outcome. He didn't want to make a decision that would matter. And if you really dig down deep into it, he didn't. The people decided. And I'm sorry, friend, to tell you, I can't decide your outcome. Unfortunately, we don't get to walk through life and not care. Since the beginning of time, the very beginning of time, God had a plan. And it was really unfortunate that Adam and Eve disobediently messed up and didn't listen to God. But if you looked at you and I, if it wasn't going to be them, it would have been you and I. <laughs> right? We want to throw the blame off, but it would have just been somebody else. Because we're people. And God made us with a free choice. But since the beginning of the time, there's been a plan. And the plan has been that we be in connection with God. And because of the disobedience, we chose to walk away. But the fact of the matter is, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But you have to live responsibly. Because according to this scripture, All I have to do to accept Christ is declare with my mouth and believe with my heart that all of this stuff we've talked about really happened. 
and that he really did raise from the dead and he really wants a relationship with you and I so that now we have access to the Father. We have access to the presence of God. If I'm wrong, if all of Christianity is wrong, I'm not talking about religious people. I'm talking about people that truly believe we have a relationship with Christ. If, I, if we're wrong, and if I die, I'm going to die. If when I die, there's not an eternity waiting on me, what have I lost? I've done my best to live a stand-up life. I've done my best to be a, a moral person that lives by some higher moral But if I'm right, and if this word is true, and I choose not, or I just say I don't care, Pilate said, do with him what you want to. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just simply trying to offer you Jesus today. You do with him what you want to. And if you have the attitude of Pilate, and I'm right, and unfortunately you're wrong, the outcome is totally different for you than for me. But the grace of God is so beautiful. Because the dude hanging on the cross who's never lived a day for Jesus whatsoever, he's a crook, he's a criminal. You tell me somebody can't get saved on their deathbed? You're crazy. Jesus said to the man who was about to take his last breath, hey, today, it don't matter what the rest of your life has been like, just because of today, you get to enter into paradise with me. And so we all have our own tomb. We can look at this several different ways. Let's look at it from Joseph's point of view. Your life is an empty, open place where you can allow Jesus to rest. Is it going to be perfect? No. Are there going to be some stinky times? Yes. Would we all be liars if we sat here and told you life's going to get in a row and your duckies are going to be in a row when you accept Christ? Yes, we would all be lying to you. Can I tell you that I'm perfect and I never fall? Absolutely not. I can't tell you that. But with Jesus, all of it's a little easier. And with Jesus, Jesus, I get some grace. I get some mercy. I get some forgiveness whenever I do fall flat on my face. And so here's my tomb. Here's me, my body. My, it's mine. That tomb, that grave was Joseph's. He, had a, he didn't have to give it up. He was going to lay in it one day. He won't know the difference. He'll be dead and gone, but it's his. That's the sad part is you and I want to hold stuff back that ain't going to matter anyway. And so here we have this choice to take something that's going to get a little messy and not going to be the best. But allow Jesus in. 
And he don't come in to be dead, dried up, and to wither away. But you imagine what it was like for Joseph to say, you know what? That tomb that I got is special. It raises dead people. Right? So when I allow Jesus to come in and rest in me, in my vessel, in my, my body, it ain't just so that I can lay back and die. It's not so that I can wallow around in defeat and in depression. My Jesus raises dead people. But those angels said, why are you looking among the dead for what's alive? Because all of us have a grave. Play something for me, please. See, all of us have something. There's not a saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost saints sitting in this room that won't tell you they ain't got something. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, had something in his life so bad he wouldn't even tell us what it was. His thorn in his flesh. I appreciate that he wouldn't tell me because it tells me that my something doesn't have to overpower my testimony. I don't want to hear Paul waste his time telling me all about the sob story of what the thorn in the flesh is. Sometimes I think I might could relate a little better. But rather than taking up the time and filling scripture with idle words about his thorn in his flesh, he fills it with hate. You can have resurrection power within you. You can have life and have it more abundantly. But see, we all got a grave. And some of us go back to that grave regularly. These ladies knew where Jesus was laying. They had watched Joseph fix him all up and lay him to rest. So you know where your grave's at. You watch from a distance. I know what my hot buttons are. And I've learned myself enough to know when I'm getting aggravated. I've learned myself enough, and I've told you, I know when to shut up. Because I don't want to go to that grave. I'm not going to go off the deep end and do something crazy. I'm not going, Lord, help me if I'm ever doing something that I'm the criminal hanging beside Jesus. It's just simply might be me opening my mouth or me not opening my mouth. But I got a grave. And you got a grave. And we have a place where we go visit. And we're looking for something. These ladies were looking their friend. They were looking who they believed to be the savior of the world. They're looking for Jesus. And just like those two men looked at them and said, what are you doing? Why are you even here? 
you remember what he told you? You're here looking for somebody that's alive and you're at this dead place. What's your grave? Because all we're doing is looking fulfillment. Whether it be in success, in a career, in a relationship. Having an aunt who is bound by drug addiction. And she takes, she really didn't have a choice of drug. It's all of them. But there's one recently that she's got a prescription for because, of course, that's the excuse. I've got a prescription for these. Family, you can still be bound by something. Even though the doctors wrote on a piece of paper, you can have it. I'm not bashing medication. I believe that's a form of healing. God give us brains, and I believe he's put some awesome pharmacists and some awesome doctors in this, in this world. I'm not saying that at all. But the drug that she's choosing to abuse doesn't even make sense. The doctors are mind-boggled. She was spent some time in a hospital several weeks back, and they're like, that's not doing nothing for her. That don't even give her a high. It shouldn't even make her feel different. And she was asked, why are you abusing this? Why are you taking this medicine? She said, because it makes me feel good. The only reason she visits that grave is she's just looking to feel good. She's just looking some kind of completion. She's looking some kind of fulfillment. She's heartbroken. The roots are so, so deep. I believe she wants to be in this fulfilling relationship with Jesus. But the roots of her heartache and her heartbreak are so deep, I don't believe that she can overcome those things on her own. And she won't allow. She keeps going back to the grave over and over and over. She got clean. She hung out with us here for a little while in the fall. And she was clean and she was straight and she left it alone. Somehow she still made it back to the grave. And what she's looking for is not there. Because she's looking for something that's alive in a place that's dead. What's your grave? What is it that we keep going back to? It ain't got to be nothing extreme as a drug addiction. It's amazing how small the things in our life can be that bring separation between us and God. It's not on God's part. It's conviction. And God wants everything from us. He wants all of us so that he can feel all of us and make our life exactly what he created it to be. So when there's something that we place in the way, we put a wall up. Would you stand with me today?
you know just as good as I do what your grave is. I don't know what yours is, but I sure know what mine is. And you're no different than I am. I'm no different than you are. You know you got a grave. Maybe you've never really been told. I'd imagine you have. But I don't want to tell you anything today that would make you picture God as some hounding, law-abiding, beat-you-over-the-head-with-a-book kind of God. That's not the Jesus I'm in a relationship with. That's not what this family's about. Do we believe there's right and there's wrong? Sure. God's Word's true. We believe it for what it is. But God loves you. All He wants is a relationship with each one of us. I'm here today. Just as the ladies went to tell the disciples. See, you obviously are not the crowd because you showed up on Easter Sunday. The crowd went home. But I came as just those ladies as a messenger to tell you. Jesus is not in the grave. And you can choose to sit back and believe that's nonsense if you want to. Lord bless you. We love you. You can be Peter. Sure. I believe God is completely okay that I question him. I believe he's completely okay that I wonder what in the world his methods, his ways are on a regular basis. I never question his authority. But I question why in the world he's got me smack dab in the middle of some of the things he puts me in. Why is it that I encounter some of the people I encounter? It's okay for you to have to see for yourself. But I promise if you will be like Peter, and you'll say, no, you know what? Jesus said this would happen. If you'll take an attitude of Peter, the messed up, broken down person that Peter was. I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. (laughs) Peter gives me hope. Because Peter, as messed up as he was to everybody else, is the one that Jesus said, hey, dude, I'm going to build my church on you, son. You and I started on Peter. Don't allow this simple message to fall on you today. And you say, you know what? That sounds like nonsense to me. Because like Pilate, you're responsible. I'm responsible. And all that I want, I'll be completely open and transparent with you. I woke up this morning with my stomach in knots. It's still in knots. Because all I want you to hear
So Jesus loves you. All you need to know is that God's got a plan for your life. Father, we've heard your word today. There's people here from lots of different spiritual walks. Got some that have been a part of the crowd that served you for years and years. There's some that have watched from a distance that have not completely surrendered themselves to you. They feel your calling, feel your tug. They know they've got a relationship with you maybe, but they've not been willing to lay it all down to live to the fullest that you want them to live. There's some God that have stood back and said, this is nonsense. We all have a grave. We all have a place that we're going back to looking for something that's not there. God, and today we've heard your word that what it is you created us to long for will not be found in the grave. It's only going to be found in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch hearts today as you've already been moving. 